When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? How did the gritting go on Sunday? The, the grit that wasn't thrown directly in your face by the Baroness, of course. Yes, yes, it was slightly awkward in A&E, uh, six hours later, when uh, <laughs> they had to surgically extract a, a shovel from me, but... Uh, yeah, all, all was well. I'm, I've, uh, I've been trying to ingratiate myself with her. I, uh, I, I took her to the uh, Football Supporters Association Awards on Monday night, oh, yeah. and they had free, they had free passion fruit martinis and free fizzy stuff, you know, for alcohol style. So uh, the Baroness took that as a challenge, yeah, and a... uh, we, uh, we, we finally got home about two a.m. Nice, that's that's nice. It's, I, I, I like it. What was it? A passion fruit. Passion fruit martini. Passion fruit martini. I, I, I'm, I'm not particularly fond of martini, but three ones. I don't, if only I'd been invited, Kieran, which is as big an indi- <laughs> as big an indication that we didn't win <laughs> that you can actually get. Yeah. It's like well, you can come along, but it cost you sixty five quid. Oh, we haven't won then. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hear. Yeah. Did you um? Did you bump into anyone we know, like Rick Perry? <laughs> uh, we sort of managed to avoid bumping into each uh-huh. other. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I did hand out one of the uh, the trophies, which is very nice, and lots of good people there. Um, so yeah, fun time had. I, I now feel that as we've been nominated on four occasions and lost on four occasions, I feel a bit like Jimmy White must have felt <laughs> in the mid nineteen eighties. So you you say, Kieran, you you were invited to to give an award, uh, and you say that's very nice. I say that's taking the piss. <laughs> It's like, uh, you clearly haven't won because we haven't invited the other one uh, and we're asking you to give one of the prizes away. And then the fact that a fucking Brighton fanzine won fanzine of the year is always... Uh, my, my, two of my WhatsApp groups were, I think you could say, hot on Monday night. Hot. Um, <laughs> the, the, I also got a message from a friend of mine who said he went to see a, a local pantomime uh, and there was a character in it called the Baroness. And so he, he, he said... He now can't get every time you mention the Baroness. He can't. He's he's not going to be able to get the picture out of his mind of this local actor dressed up in a terrible panto dame outfit. Uh, anyway, enough of this chit chat, Kieran. I know, I know you're tired, Kieran, because you you had to be up very early for the media whoring, as you put it, for our first big story, which we knew the new broadcasting deal was coming, Kieran. But my, I mean, it's proper eye-watering figure this one Kieran, and a huge amount of games per season yes um very strange of the premier league to announce this at five to six on a monday night mm. um especially as i was in a taxi with the baroness at the time and the phone started to go and and i immediately got what can be described as the look <laughs> and we both know what the look is like and said what is it, Kieran? Uh, the Premier League's got a new record TV deal. And what's it got to do with you? <laughs> uh, might be needed. <laughs> so, That's a great impression. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got to confess, I, I found some of the reporting on this by sort of the Premier League, the way it's, the way it's been presented, a little bit disingenuous. Mm. It says it's a record deal of £6.7 million, £6.7 billion, 
over four years. And that is a record amount, but the previous deals have been over three years. So uh. you know, if, I, if I sell you one apple for three pounds yeah. and I sell you two apples for five pounds, um, uh. it's a record amount in terms of apple sales, but the price per apple has gone down. Um, and as a result of this deal, Premier League clubs will be generating less money from the broadcast partners oh. in 2030 than they will have been generating in 2016-17. So yeah, over a course of 13 to 14 years, the, the domestic rights have effectively flatlined. And again, it was, uh, it was it's gone up by 4%, but, you, but you're ignoring the fact that the last deal was down by 10%. So don't, don't try to tell us it's a record amount. And, you, and you're absolutely right, Kevin, to say that it's a, it's a record number of matches. And I've got to say, this is a fantastic deal for Sky. You know, Sky is, is very much going to position itself as, and I think it's wanted to do this, but this sort of kind of Sky is going to be the home for football mm. with regards to you know live live broadcasting of matches. So the Premier League um, had seven packages which it sold in the in the current round, uh, and as we know, uh, uh, Amazon have sort of little little amounts. Yeah, they they get some just you know. The, the current fixtures which are taking place and the ones which take place just after Christmas and they're, they're allocated to Amazon. And Amazon loves that to bits because it gets people into their ecosystem at a time when they're buying Christmas presents and it's on, on with the Christmas sale. So it's absolutely perfect for Amazon, but they were paying a pittance for their rights. And the reason for this was the Premier League wanted to go to the streaming companies, you know, the likes of Amazon, Netflix, potentially Apple TV, Facebook, and so on, and say, look, we've got this absolutely amazing product. Um, do you fancy dipping your toe into it? So, so Amazon did, but it's not going to go any further. Uh, and I think it's it's notable that we're not going to have any streaming um, services involved in football now until the end of the decade. And remember that you know, a couple of years ago, there was all this talk about Prem Flicks mm. and the Premier League taking over control. All of that, it's as if you know, it's that, dis that, that discussion has never taken place. So we now have a position in which every single match which does not take place at three o'clock on a Saturday will be available for the armchair viewer. Um, so you know, I think that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. People are saying, well, yeah, there's a lot more matches being broadcast. Why have they not managed to get a lot more money? Um, and I think this is this is an acknowledgement that you know I'm, I'm going to see Brighton versus Brentford tonight. You know it's it's not going to generate a lot of outside interest. You know, you have to be honest. Uh, and if therefore um, all of the clubs who are playing in Europe on a Thursday, maybe you tend to have three or four matches kicking off at two o'clock on a Sunday. Um, only one of those was being broadcast historically. All that's going to happen is, I suspect, the same number of people who'd be watching football, but you know, the same number of people spreading spread over four matches instead of one. Mm. So, you know, if football's on, you or I, we watch it. When we don't really, you know, if it's on, we're not particularly bothered. Don't make an extra effort to watch it necessarily, um, but we'll watch it regardless. So, I, I think from Sky's point of view, they could legitimately say we're not willing to pay any more money because we don't think we're going to get an uptick in viewers. Um, so it's a fantastic deal for Sky. TNT, um, I, I spoke to our friend, the secret broadcaster, uh, on uh, on Monday evening, um, and he, she, or it uh, replied to me, TNT, they've got the runt of the litter mm. um, because they've got 12.30 on a Saturday. And 12.30 on a Saturday, I think, I think that is the, the way of describing it because – you have to make that much more effort. You'll often be at the Porsons. You know, Palace are playing at home at three o'clock. You might be looking at it on the background if it's on, if you're somewhere, but it's not critical. If you look at the attendances there, there's, there's never much of an atmosphere in those particular matches because people have had to get up early and so on. Um, and TNT, I think they've also got a couple of midweek uh, sets of fixtures. So they're still involved. People again have been asking, well, why didn't Sky end up with all of the all of the packages? They're not allowed to have all five packages. This comes effectively from the uh, com competition and markets authority, or you know what we used to refer to as the monopoly and mergers competition. You don't want 
all of Premier League football available to a single party. So fantastic deal for Sky. Um, they were paying £10 million a match. That's dropped to around about six and a half. So they've got more matches for the same amount of money. Um, could it be good news for viewers? Yeah, you get a bit more choice, which is good. If Sky aren't paying any more than they were in 2016, we, we've just seen the government announce that the, the TV licence fee is going to be frozen. I think it's a good case for Sky for saying, well, because we're not paying any more money, um, we're, not, we're going to freeze our uh, subscription fees for, for Sky Sports for the rest of the decade. I think that would yeah, be really good for, for viewers if that does come about, because if they don't, they risk losing people to fire sticks and you, and you have to be honest yeah that is the that is the elephant in the room when it comes to broadcast so just to clarify a couple of points Kieran because I, I watched the Luton Arsenal game last night on Amazon um, I, I, I watched 94 minutes of the Luton Arsenal game on Amazon because I decided uh, this game is effectively over and there's an Anne Boleyn documentary I hadn't watched since <laughs> some time so I switched to that, <laughs> cut to me looking at my phone 20 minutes later. So just to clarify, so it's only uh, Premier League football will only be available on TNT and Sky. Yeah, yes. okay. Yeah, so, so they've narrowed it down. Um, it's because there were only five packages as opposed to seven. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, th I think Amazon were paying something like £20 million for 20 matches, yeah, a million pounds a match, which is a fantastic deal for them. But the Premier League's decided to get rid of that. Um, they they seem happy. I think it's actually a it's a good deal. It's not a great deal from from the Premier League's point of view, in the sense that the money's not gone down. And we've seen uh, in France the the bid the bidders didn't meet the reserve price. There's no sign of any increase in in Italy, in Germany, in Spain. So. Uh, the broadcasters have effectively put their foot down. They've said, "Yeah, we we can't increase subscription fees because we fear people will switch off or they will switch to other you know, alternative means." Um, so yeah, we've we've got the we've got the two two providers, and in a sense, that's good because you know if you wanted to watch as many matches as you could, you needed to have an Amazon Prime. TNT and the Sky, so at least you only now need to have uh, two instead of three. Well, well, I suppose in a way there's three providers, Kieran, because does this deal um, confirm that the BBC will be showing highlights for the rest of this this decade, essentially? Yes, yes. So in, in terms of free-to-air, um, the BBC has has, made, has has retained those rights. Um, you know, you and I, we, we both go back to, you know, I first saw my first... Match of the day, nineteen sixty nine seventy. So yeah, I think we've still got that affection for for match of the day, even though I've already seen the get the goals on on YouTube because Sky put them on YouTube now. Um, there's still something to me a little bit special about match of the day. I, 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 I bet that could be the fact that I'm just getting on yep. a bit. Um, no, I love match of the day. I, I, I've worked on it for ten years. It's always yes, always uh, a very special place in my heart. Um, the TNT thing, Palace Liverpool on Saturday is, is the 12.30 kickoff on TNT, or as they keep saying this week, their traditional 12.30 kickoff, because they had a Saturday evening game last week and they were humpty about it all the way through. Uh, <laughs> and as you say, TNT can talk about their traditional 12.30 kickoff as much as they want. I suspect that Sellers Park, for the first time in a long time, may not be full for a Palace Liverpool game, partly because it's a train strike and partly because it is that 12.30 kickoff, which fans don't don't seem to like. Um, and as you say, you tend to... I only ever watch those games. If I'm at home, I don't watch that 12.30 kickoff. And if I'm in the Portons, I'll look up when somebody cheers because there's a goal score. But I was... Um, in terms of the amount of games spread across Sky and TNT, no matter what they're on, I was at a, a meeting yesterday at the foundation at, at Palace, and there's some unease from a couple of the people from the actual club um, about you know times are financially difficult. It's getting harder and harder each week to fill stadiums for the for clubs outside the top six and seven. You only had to look at uh, the Wolves Burnley game last night, and it, the stadium was far from far from full. You know, it will be a sellout because a lot of those are season tickets. I suspect Palace Bournemouth tonight will be far from full for various reasons. But I think there is some unease from the clubs outside of the top six, seven 
that this is yet another assault because we know, yes, they have to show a certain amount of Palace, Brentford, you know, Sheffield United games, but we know that the the most attractive games are games that are likely to be competing for for Palace fans' eyeballs, essentially. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, um, and and it's not just Palace fans' eyeballs; it's eyeballs of fans from EFL clubs, National yeah, League, abs- and further abs- down the absolutely. pyramid. Um, the the blackout at 3 p.m. on a Saturday has been maintained, and I think there was uh, there was thought, and it's been interesting observing the debate um, that's taking place on social media. I think those fans who I'm not going to dig those fans that support clubs but don't actually go to matches, you know, sort of the the more casual fan, or you know, and they will say, "Well, I'm just I'm just as dedicated to my club as." Uh, the people that do attend, they say, well, we want the 3 p.m. blackout to be lifted as well. Um, <clears throat> I think that would have a, a detrimental impact. And there's a, there's a further issue, which you know, is a story which we're coming to, um, is that with all of these matches now taking place at weekends, which are going to be broadcast, where does it leave uh, women's football in terms of accessibility? And where does it leave Scottish football mm. uh, in terms of finding those slots in terms of broadcast? So again, there's been a quite a it's quite a hostile reaction from Scottish fans saying, you know, "Why is English football getting so much money compared to the Scottish league?" It's it's because the Premier League delivers in terms of of viewing figures, um, and therefore it will always take priority. Um, so you know th- there is there is a lot taking place there and I think clubs are going to have to to work harder um, some clubs are a bit complacent that we will turn up week in week out uh, you know, we were recording this on early on Wednesday afternoon I'm going to, to Brighton versus Brentford tonight there, there will be significant gaps because we've got a rail strike yeah, and yeah, yeah. the only way you can get to the ground is effectively by rail um, so you know, I think there'll be noticeable gaps uh, which which is a shame, you know. And, and the rail strike, you know, I, I respect, uh, you know, respect Avles position as a entitlement to, to strike, but it, it's it's impacting upon fans. If it's live on television, would you go and pay thirty thirty five quid for a ticket? No, it's simple as that. Now, Kieran, there are some fights. So, for example, Shark versus Eagle. Somebody says to me, who'd win in the fight between the Shark versus the Eagle? I will take an interest in that, but I don't really care what the outcome is. In the same way, if Scotland are playing Wales, I'd be quite happy if, if both of them won. I wouldn't be bothered if both of them lost. I'd enjoy the game, but it wouldn't worry me either way. So it is with um, a dispute between FIFA and agents. I've been observing it, Kieran. Uh, I'd have been quite happy again if both of them lost, but one of them hasn't. Yes. Um for people not familiar with the story, FIFA, for reasons best known only to Gianni Infantino, decided that it was going to introduce a global rule that agents could not claim more than 3% uh, commission in respect of a deal. Now, that could be increased to 6% if the agent was representing both a player and uh, the club. Um, and agents themselves uh, responded to say, well, if we, we also do agency work for people in the entertainment industry. We do it for golfers. We do it for people in the NFL. We do it for cricketers. And there's no ceiling there. So, so why are we being picked upon? Um, and FIFA said, tough. Um, but what we have seen is a series of cases in individual countries um, where uh, agents, and, and in this particular case, it's it's, you know, it's the big agents, it's, it's like uh, you know, Wasserman and so on, who have taken this further and they've successfully won their case. Um, and this is a case for you know, which will impact upon both you know, the big agents and the small agents. Um, for the sake of complete transparency, when this was heard in Lausanne in Switzerland at the Court for Arbitration for Sport in May, um, I was uh, I, I was an expert witness on behalf of agents uh, to present, and I, again I'm a bit like you. I've not got a dog in the fight, but I have got a spreadsheet. 
Um, and <laughs> so I just love the idea of people. At, so, so, my, so my spreadsheet was called into action. I, I love the idea of people an illegal underground dogfight going. Who's that bloke with the spreadsheet? I don't know. I don't, is it, are you, any of these dogs belong to him? Why's he got a spreadsheet then? I don't know. But he's, he's clearly there. Um, so, so FIFA's ruling has been uh, effectively nullified. And this means this is the fourth out of the five big European countries. So Spain, France and Germany have, have all effectively de- uh, decided in favour of the agents. We're still awaiting a case in respect of Italy. Um, FIFA are saying, you know, agents fees have gone up significantly. Um, they have gone up significantly, but the cake, you know, whenever I'm, whenever I'm looking at money and people say, you know, footballers earn too much money or this, that, I say, well, there's two things you need to look at when it comes to distributing money, a, the size of the cake and B, how you slice the cake. So the size of the case, the cake has gone up a lot over the course of the last decade. So you can have the same slice in in proportionate terms, which can result in a lot more money. I've I've never quite managed to work out why FIFA have got themselves into such a tiz about this, because they're not really involved at things from an agency point of view. Um, I I think they were simply looking for a simple scapegoat. We we live in a world in which demonising individual people or individual groups appears to be uh, a way of deflecting attention from your own shortcomings. Um, and yeah, perhaps we've seen that on a, on a wider geo or political uh, sphere as well. Um, but I think FIFA's coming out of this now with a bit of a bloody nose. Which is odd, Kira, because I'm fairly certain on my reading of this subject that FIFA probably took a punt that 99% of all football fans would be on their side against agents. They probably thought that agents were very unpopular. And again, I'm not hinting that governments might might take a similar approach. But FIFA probably thought, you know, most football fans don't like agents. They won't be too fussed if we take them on. Um, and they've taken them on and they've lost. And again, um, disappointingly, we haven't seen that predicted Gianni Infantino press statement saying, actually, this was a glorious victory for FIFA and another statue of him was going to be put up outside the headquarters. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Kieran, we've spoken, of course we have, we've spoken at length um, about one particular review into football, a review that you took part in. Um, But another one has been uh, taking place at the same time, which we've we've barely mentioned, um, and yet it's been very successful. Yes. um, Karen Carney has... Uh, had a report. Uh, she's she's taken evidence from uh, a number of parties, uh, including football finance, and uh, she she put out a a written report which was very comprehensive, mm. which contained broadly sort of ten points in terms of going forwards, and the government's accepted every recommendation, which which I think is is pleasing. Um, you know they're looking at things such as player welfare, player development, academy, increasing the diversification of, of people participating in the game, and also you know some form of system which will prevent. And this is an area we have discussed. Will prevent the the big six in the Premier League becoming the big six in the WSL because at present the sport is going to struggle to to have you know, a, a a big enough audience. And, and you know, it, it was great to say, I think Bristol City, they, they hosted Manchester United at Ashton Gate and they had 14,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's absolutely brilliant for, for women's football. Um, so, so things are are heading in the right direction. 
Um, how this will go forwards, you know, is there going to be legislation on the back of this? We don't know that there's no indication of anything as yet, but um, I think it's a positive step. And uh, I, you know, as, as somebody that again presented to to Karen's committee on some bits and pieces, uh, I, I welcome the result. It's somewhat disappointing, Kieran, uh, although predictable, that whereas the Tracy Crouch review garnered all sorts of noise and column inches, there's been barely a mention of this in in any of the press anywhere, uh, broadcast or or newspaper. It is, um, and, and I think this is, is this is reflective of a much broader issue um, in the sense that everybody's fighting for eyeballs. And after what can only be described as one of the most gobsmacking weekends of football in Premier League history in in terms of those results um, and and those matches um, that took place at the the weekend, all of the discussions being based on that. And then we've got the Manchester City players sort of surrounding the referee and the, the memes of, of uh, Erling Haaland uh, when uh, he had a, a quiet word. Um, that doesn't leave very much space. That doesn't leave very much yeah, time. Too. And these things become, they, they, they snowball. You know, once that, you know, Liverpool's victory in some of their goals, the Manchester City Spurs game, um, Newcastle beating Manchester United and so on. You know, they, they, these are all sort of big matches and then there was another round of matches taking place midweek. It meant that uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of room. Uh, you know, the stories have been covered on the BBC website. The Guardian's always very good as well. Um, but you know, other other you're, you're, you're fighting the yeah. space yeah. and the women's game is it's a bit like it's a bit like rugby. It's a bit like cricket. You know, football and the Premier League, in my view, fantastic, brilliant product. It's become too dominant. And, and it's meant that everybody else is now you know, fighting over straps. We had other games at the weekend, Kieran, in the second round of the FA Cup prior to the probably the most boring FA Cup third round draw I can remember in quite some time. Yes. But one of those games was... Stoke away for us, me. Yeah. One of the, Everton at home, jeez. One of those games was Eastleigh versus Reading. Um, and we praised Max Day earlier. I have to say... ITV's coverage before the game of Eastleigh versus Reading, which concentrated on the situation at Reading, I thought it was exemplary. They, they, the only disappointment was that you didn't turn up halfway through it, as you did uh, on Match of the Day 2's coverage of the Everton situation. Uh, but and also there was a right. They they spent a lot of time discussing the the Reading situation, and they were rightly rightly angry. And it was a very good analysis. Um, and it, I, I was very pleased to see that ITV had... Uh, Eastleigh fans would probably be less happy, but I, I thought it was great the way they covered it. And also, basically, just sipped it, didn't shy away from, from blaming the owner for this. Uh, you know, there was like incompetent, useless, you, shouldn't, you know, the, all sorts of things. So it, I was very impressed with that. But they had good reason to do so, Kieran, because... Yeah, off the pitch, Reading hadn't been doing too badly in the last couple of games. They lost too easily. But again, you know, I'll let you describe you know, the sponsors having to step in and hmm. help pay the wages of the staff. The players expressing their own embarrassment that they, they were offered wages and the staff weren't. It's just, a, I, hate, I, hate, I don't like swearing on this pod, Kieran, because producer guy normally, but it's a shit show, Kieran, and it's got to end somehow. I think there is an end point in this. Uh, I agree with you entirely. Um, ITV, uh, Sam Matterface, who was uh, saw on Monday night, thought was really good. You know, it's it's easy to sugarcoat things and make this all about the romance of the FA Cup, but there's as much a broader issue. Um, I can only describe the behaviour of Di Younger, the owner of Reading Football Club, as insidious, because to pay the players in order to ensure that you don't get you don't trigger another points deduction but not to pay other members of staff yeah it is it, that insidious that yeah the director of football didn't get paid but the yeah. players did yeah, yeah, it, yeah it was that sort of really sneakily you know dick dastardly himself would even think oh, that's perhaps going a bit far <laughs> um yeah. so 
yeah, the other members of staff, they've got direct debits, which will be, you know, like we all do, go out on the first of the month. Well, the good news, I mean, we're recording this on uh, on Wednesday the 6th. I understand from reading the Red Reading Chronicle. Uh, and a, and yeah, some of these local scribes, uh, James Earnshaw at, at, the, at the local Reading paper, he's done a fantastic job, by the way, a bit like Chris Phillips at Southend. You know, lots of these local journalists have really rolled up their sleeves and had to get involved in, you know, the, te- the tedious stuff. I'm a nerd, so companies, house, and spreadsheets is my life. That journalists didn't sign up to do this, but they've all done a fantastic job. The staff will have had direct debits, which have bounced. The, the staff will have had their credit rating negatively impacted by Dai Yonga's decision to only part pay their wages. Okay, the, the wages now have been paid, which is the good thing. I thought the the, the approach taken by Reading fans should hugely be applauded. Non-violent direct action which gets attention. So they started lobbing tennis balls onto the pitch. So nobody's going to get hurt by a tennis ball. You know, unless you're unless you're on the receiving end of a Roscoe Tanner 140 mile an hour. <laughs> yeah, tennis balls are fairly benign, as as we both know. Um, so you know, they threw tennis balls, that gets the attention. Um, on the back of this, and I thought this was really funny. Um, a Reading fan arranged for a box of 12 tennis balls to be delivered to Dai Yonga's house via Amazon. And I think they've now got the, the response from Amazon uh, package handed across to <laughs> person at the house. So it, it's funny, it's smart, it's bringing attention to the issue as well. Um, you know, your heart goes out to all of those people because, you know, have I got a job at the end of December? You know, am I going to get paid? Because you know, lots of people, lots of employers pay people a few days early at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. The cost of Christmas. Am I going to get paid? Yeah. Um, so that's that's where we are. Um, there there are parties interested in buying the club. I think it is an attractive proposition um, because it's you know, relatively close to London, relatively new stadium. You know, decent sized stadium history. They've been in the Premier League, so I, I think there is uh, a case for um, uh, availing ourselves of a sale. It's now will the owner swallow pride and accept a fair price, or because he's so rich, he doesn't have to? Will he just continue to be awkward? Mm. I, I rather hoped reading that story about delivering tennis balls that uh, Younger and his family know their Shakespeare because it's all very Henry the Fifth sending a present of tennis balls to someone you want to take the piss out of. Uh, the wages have been paid, Kieran, and, and I can confirm, by the way, that today is Wednesday the 6th because I've just opened the doors on my three advent calendars. So uh, it is definitely <laughs> Wednesday the 6th. The, we know the wages have been paid, or we think the wages have been paid to the staff, Kieran. Do we know if the, those wages were paid by the club or did the sponsor come through and were they paid by outside sources? I, I believe they've been paid by the club. Okay. Now, it could be that the sponsors might have advanced some money to the club to enable, right. or it could be that Dai Younger has managed to get money from um, from you know, wherever he, he keeps his stash. Right. Uh, or, and indeed, his money, Kieran. Uh, I, also, yes. I thought what was good about ITV's coverage is that when the, the game was interrupted, um, and you could clearly see some Eastley fans applauding the interruption, and I thought what was very good was that... Um, There was no moaning from ITV. They said this won't take long. Um, You can't blame the fans for this. They also pointed out, which I thought was very good, that the Reading fans had written to the uh, club, to Eastleigh, and to the Eastleigh Supports Association to explain what they were doing and to apologise for any disruption. Um, So so I was very impressed. Um, I've been impressed by by the behaviour of everybody involved in this story, Kieran, except... The man who owns the club, One. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who who needs, if it, if it's just his pride, Kieran, and we've seen this before with club owners, if it's just his pride doing it, then the man must realise he's going to bankrupt himself and his club if it's just his his pride. But anyway, uh, there's another club, Kieran. Unfortunately, that I was going to say almost out of nowhere, but it has been bubbling under a little bit. And we've seen a, a great deal of distress from their fans on social media this week, and that's Morecambe. Yes, um, 
This is, and I think this is an incredibly brave thing to do, this is effectively a vote of no confidence in the owners of Morecambe Football Club by the directors right. of Morecambe Football Club. People say, well, hold on, don't the owners appoint the directors? The, the owners aren't interested in the football club. They're interested in making money. So, so the directors are effectively glorified volunteers. You know, they're, they're giving up their time. They're doing it for nothing or next to nothing. You know. um, and they have effectively said that we no longer have any faith in the Bond group, um, who also are the owners of Worcester Warriors uh, Rugby Union Club, which is sadly no longer with us. Um, one of the owners of the Bond group is a gentleman called Colin Goldring, who um, was subject to a um, solicitor's regulatory authority hearing recently. Um, and they said he, he cannot work for a law firm without their position. I think previously, when he was involved working with a law firm, um, it was for only described as sort of the, the ambulance chasing yeah, element yeah, yeah. of the legal profession. And, you know, and, and that, that sounds, that sounds sort of cheap and nasty and I don't intend it to be. Um, but, you know, I, I, if you're interested in taking this further, anybody who's listening, just, just read up about his background as to, to why the, the SRE, the solicitors regulatory body decided to take on one of his men. Cause, cause you know, look, as a chartered accountant, you know, we don't tend to, you know, you tend to look after your own, and you know somebody somebody has to do quite a lot wrong before they they get told effectively you can't prepare any more accounts or anything like that. So that's where we are in terms of Morecambe. The club has been up for sale, as we know, for a long period of time. Why has it not been sold? Because people are being awkward. People are you know, getting to the negotiating table and then moving the goalposts. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've not been to Morecambe. Yeah, it's this ground I want to go to at some point in time. Uh, but the fans of Morecambe deserve better. Uh, they deserve better owners than this. Um, you know, it's a small club. It's done very well to get the EFL, very well to get to as far as League One, uh, especially. But uh, the, the way it's being treated is appalling. Do we know if the owners have responded to this statement from the board of directors because basically what the board of directors said the club is in serious danger of going out of business unless it's sold mm. imminently which as you say it's a brave thing for them to do but also you you could you could argue being devil's advocate that it might precipitate the the, the owners doing something stupid you know out of spite um i i, I don't Think that they will respond in such a manner, okay. um, because all that they care about is is money. And, right. and if they okay. if they put the club into liquidation, for example, they're going to get next to nothing. Um, Morecambe Football Club is worth more as a going concern than as okay. a liquidated set of assets. Uh, but you know, the, the owners are probably too busy doing other stuff. Mm. Uh, can, not impressive. Uh, can you give any? Optimism to Morecambe. Do you know if anyone is is sniffing around, kicking tires? Yeah, there's there's always people that are interested, Kevin. Yeah, you know, right. the, the number of I gave a uh, an investor presentation earlier this week in respect of a club. Um, it, it's amazing the length and breadth of clubs. Yeah, we've got, the fact that we've got new owners at Carlisle, we've got new owners yeah. at Gillingham, we've got yeah. new owners here, there, and everywhere. Um, Morecambe is is attractive, um, and. You know, unfortunately, that there's too many Morecambe, Scunthorpe, Southends, Rochdales, Reddings around, uh, but there's still a lot of interest in the game. Mm. Well, unfortunately, our next two stories, talking of fans who deserve proper owners, are Southend and Scunthorpe. And, and first of all, Southend's new owners uh, have issued an update, Kieran. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we were sort of, we were. We were giving it two cheers, weren't we? We were a couple of months ago. I think that's how we summarised it because um, a new owners have come in. I think Justin Reese, who is head of the consortium, you know, we, we thought, right, Ron's gone, and you know, Ron Martin has has not conducted himself in a uh, a very likable manner throughout all of his tenure as as Southend. He's, he's put money in. I'm not denying that. Um, but we're two months down the line, and therefore fans were getting irritating they were getting fed up and they said that they were going to go round to Ron's house and protest on Tuesday night unless there was some form of update 
Um, so we have now had a sort of a, a formal uh, update from the, the consortium, which is taking over the club. They've said they're still doing their due diligence. Um, and, and this this surprises me. It, it shouldn't take nine weeks to do a, the equivalent of a you know, surveyor's look around. Um, and then sort of reading more about it, um, there's some sort of commitment by Ron Martin. And I think this is a much broader issue. I think he's trying to get approval for some houses to be developed in Southend. And as part of that, he said, um, I will put in £20 million, uh, even though I'm going, to develop Roots Hall. Uh, and he says, don't necessarily put that in writing. Trust me. <laughs> now, um, anybody who's had any connection. Like the snake in Jungle Book. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, I'd rather trust the snake. Um, <laughs> so you can, you can absolutely understand the degree of caution because you don't want to be caught on the hoof. Um, so things are taking longer than one would ideally like. Uh, it is a frustration for fans. You know, you know, attendances have been good. The away uh, elements of support from South End United fans have been you know, magnificent for, again, you know, the lower tiers of, of football. Uh, and I think it shows just how important the club is to a town. So, Ron Martin, just just do the right thing. You know, there's so many, you know, a bit like Die Younger, the Bond group. You know, we're going more and more into this. Um, and I'm not, it sounds like a bit of opportunism. This, this is why we need somebody to have overall responsibility for the game, who who can hold people to account to a greater degree than than the authorities at present. Yeah, and uh, for our next live shows coming up in in spring, our our wrongans countdown, Kieran, it's going to be quite difficult narrowing it down just to five <laughs> wrongans, isn't it? Uh, this 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 comes from Alan Fluff Freeman, the full forty, I think. <laughs> The Scunthorpe story, Kieran, uh, considering that just a few months ago the owners were promising, threatening to move the club to a, a local non-league ground, I'm assuming that this story is good news, is it? Yes, this is fantastic news. Great. Yeah, Great. It's so nice to be able to report something. Um, Glanford Park has been bought by the new showground community interest company, so that meant that somebody had to go on company's house to uh, <laughs> get a new a new set of uh, alerts. Um, it's it's going to be um, controlled by fans, officials of the club, and local councillors. So it, it's very much sort of a um, sort of it, it's it's been given a grant um, by one of the government funds. North Lincolnshire Council will be responsible effectively for for monitoring how that grant will be used. Going to create a hundred jobs. Fantastic, you know. Uh, Scunthorpe is you know, it, it's it's well known as a steel city where the steel industry has been decaying for a, t- for a period of time. There's going to be 150 homes created, specialising in in the facilities for, for elderly people, for people in need of care. So I think there's lots of positives, um, and uh, it, it gives certainty as well. So yeah, it, it's fantastic to be able to report a, such a positive story as this, um, and fair play to everybody involved from Michelle who's come in to effectively run the club to people like the Iron Trust to the people that run the uh, you know the, the the fans message board and so on all of whom have had to put up with some pretty unpleasant behavior from people who I'm not going to name because they're pretty unpleasant people yeah and and fair play too Kieran to all those scumfort fans who may not have got involved in, in a trust or a campaign or whatever, but still suffered on a daily basis from the yeah. activities of their, their club owners, people who, for various reasons, just want to be a fan. Uh, fair play to them as well. And it is it, it is lovely just for once to be able to create a positive story. You will remember, Kieran, just a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed uh, sports lawyer Josh Sharalambus who specialises in advising people who are, who are buying or thinking of investing into football clubs. And he told us 
about the increasing interest in the US from investment companies into getting involved in English football. And off the back of that, this is a rather strange press release, Kieran. Yes, this is an American investment company called Lawrence Capital, um, which says, we have been involved, we were approached a few months ago to put money into an English football club by an individual. We've subsequently got involved and had some form of relationship with the club, but it now turns out that the person that we were working with has proven to be not as they claim to be. So all of this is is very weird. So, So it hasn't named the club, although a lot of Rochdale fans have put two and two together and they seem to think that it could be their club. And who this individual is has not been named either. So it's all very bizarre. Um, so you know, why would an American investment company get involved? Why would they say these things? Uh, you know, it's it's testament to that the fans of Rochdale and other clubs that they they you know everybody's monitoring. You know, everybody's sort of becoming uh, you know forensic amateur detectives and, and doing this. So I've also seen a uh, a pitch by an investment company um, in respect of a non-league club based in the north of England. And again, it it won't name the club. There's a lot of things going around in circles at present and trying to get to the bottom, it's really difficult. Mm. Ipswich Town, Kieran, um, it's always a club I enjoy visiting until they knock down the Drummond Monkey, which is the football equivalent of knocking down Westminster Abbey. Shameful behaviour. Uh, but they're having a great season, Kieran, on and off the pitch. Um, uh, Ipswich fans will be very happy, I, I imagine, at the moment, except another club is attempting to wipe the smile off their face. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to Ellen Road shortly. And uh, Leeds have said, uh, oh, looking forward to meeting you. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome. 47 quid for a ticket. And Ipswich town fans are going, you are. Um, now... The reason why this is the case, uh, and I will first of all put across the the Leeds United point of view, Leeds United are the biggest club in the championship, in my opinion, okay? Um, And they say, um, as a result of that, we've always had to pay premium prices when we've gone away. And therefore, unless we can get uh, the opposition before the start of the season or early in the season to agree uh, reciprocal prices, we're going to charge you what we charge our own fans to pay for a walk-up ticket, which is 47 quid. Now, when Leeds played at Ipswich earlier in the season, there wasn't an agreement, but Ipswich said, well, we're going to charge you 34. Um, So Ipswich fans are unhappy. Leeds fans, I think it's fair to say, are being quite defensive of their club. I think it's a much broader issue. You know, this is second-tier football. I don't care whether Leeds United are charging £47 for home fans or away fans. It, it strikes me as that's an awful lot of money. Um, and I understand the position, well, if we're charging home walk-up fans 47 quid, then we're charging you no more to be you know, a few blocks away. But you know, the Premier League has had this, this cap of £30, um, for some time, it, I think it asks a, a much broader question: Why is it that club owners and executives in the EFL cannot acknowledge what away fans bring to a game in terms of atmosphere, you know, in, in terms of uh, spending in in the local town or city, and, and so on? Um, you know, why can't they just agree, as as uh, Premier League owners have done, to say right? We're going to say yeah, thirty pounds or thirty-five pounds, whatever it's going to be, and that's going to be the upper limit. I think uh, I know when I go to Arsenal, Arsenal only charge twenty-six quid, for example, for away fans, which is fantastic. Um, so it it does seem a bit uh, yeah, a bit people pointing fingers at each other. Ipswich fans are unhappy about it. Leeds fans are defending their position because they say, well, we always have to go and pay 
you know, the highest level of prices. That, that's a function of being Leeds United, unfortunately. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Uh, you know, I, I know you know, at Brighton, we've got A, B and C games and home fans get to have to go and pay more if it's Manchester United or or Liverpool or Palace. You know, uh, you know, Palace is always a, a an A fixture and so on. Um, whereas if it's Burnley or Sheffield United or Luton, the ticket prices tend to be cheaper. Um, so I think there's a much broader issue uh, and discussion to be had. But intuitively, £47 to see second tier football just feels a bit high, especially for somebody that's already had to, to travel a fair distance. Um, and also having seen how much Leeds United are charging their own fans uh, in terms of coach travel, that, that seems very high to me as well. But yeah, that's, that's a separate discussion. Our penultimate story takes us to Newcastle, Kieran, and I'm slightly worried about this because I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how Newcastle are going to be able to afford to pay this, but they, they, they could have a, a financial penalty coming their way, Kieran. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is something which we have seen disclosed in the Newcastle United accounts for the last few years. Um, HMRC, uh, as we know, they, they used to have two, but I think, I think they now have one person looking into football clubs, um, <laughs> have, have investigated um, the nature of um, agents fees and uh, image rights companies which have been set up in order to be what Jimmy Carr would describe as tax efficient, um, what other people might describe as uh, not paying enough tax. Um, and <clears throat> High Court uh, has ruled that uh, HMRC had a legitimate claim against Newcastle. And certainly, if you look at the accounts of some other clubs in the Premier League, you will see reference to this. Um, so they've ended up having to go and pay £6 million in, in tax, um, which will go a, a, a small way to uh, the, uh, the amount of money that's uh, being lost to, to the Treasury uh, due to a, a series of uh, fraudulent claims being made uh, by the government's eat out to uh, catch bugs campaign <laughs> a few years ago and so on. Um, so that that's where we're but it does relate to the Mike Ashley period of ownership and it's got nothing to do with Amanda Staveley and PIF and the Rubin brothers. Um, it's because it's tax, FFP is based on pre-tax profits, so there's no FFP implications. Um, I, I suspect the, the owners will just just pay it immediately because uh, if there's one set of owners that can afford to pay any bill immediately. Um, it's, it's Ron Martin. No, sorry, it's PI. <laughs> I don't know whether to be annoyed or proud that HMRC appears to have more people keeping an eye on my tax affairs than they have keeping an eye on the Premier League's tax affairs. Um, our last story, Kieran, you may remember our discussion about um, particular fights that you have no interest in what the outcome is. Uh, in this one, <laughs> in this one, for once, I'm on the side of the US government, for once, um, because yeah, cryptocurrency, we've seen, a, I won't name them, Kieran, for, for reasons of sensitivity, but there's a, a, a major player in the game that offered several Premier League clubs donations uh, of a lot of money, all of which have been downgraded in terms of the amount of money they've, they've now offered. Um, mm. But Cristiano Ronaldo may be regretting um, being the public face of, uh, which I'm not been faced because our dear friend Count Binface will get in touch with us again, as he did before. But um, he's been the public face of Binance. Yes, um, so Binance, which is the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, mainly because uh, FTX, which was its rival, was declared bankrupt um, a few months ago. And if anybody's following, uh, there's some really good podcasts about the the guy that used to run. FTX. I think it's fair to say his lifestyle was lavish, uh, to put it mildly. Um, so Binance, which for reasons best known to itself, is based in the Cayman Islands, that, uh, <laughs> that, that doyen of transparency. Um, it it uh, asked crypto. Uh, sorry, it asked Cristiano Ronaldo to uh, be the face of um, 
some NFTs. Remember our old friend NFTs? Indeed. That we were told we were going to be the saviour of football. Indeed. And so that you had the opportunity to buy a cartoon version of Cristiano Ronaldo with various gurning faces. And these were sold in November 2022. And when they were launched for a minimum price of $77, some went for, for far more because uh, for some of these uh, some of these tokens, um, you know, there were there were a thousand minted. Look at me, Kevin. I'm down with yeah. the kids. I'm using the language. <laughs> when they dropped, again, I'll, I'll be wearing the baseball cap back to front and singing <laughs> E17 songs in any moment now. Um, so, so you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is is a fantastic brand in his own right. You know, he has more social media followers than any football club on the planet. Now, why do um, crypto companies, why do NFT companies want to get involved with football? Well, it gives them legitimacy. It gives them credibility. It gives them normalization. And then the whispering campaigns of, you can make money on this. Now, the, the cryptocurrency companies won't do this themselves. They will rely on their army of um useful idiots to to say that you can you can this is an investment and you know what we've always said on the show if you want a digital version of a panini card of a footballer go and fill your boots you know we've got absolutely no objection but yeah when i get you know the, the cameroon left back from the you know, 2014 world cup if i get a sticker of him and stick it in my my panini collection i'm i'm quite happy but i don't say yeah i'm i don't gonna go all sort of you know Del Boy and say, as a result of this, I'm going to be a millionaire one day. But that's that's the noise that comes out of these. So these were sold for $77. And, and what were you getting for your $77 or your your much higher figure for the, the more rarer versions of the drop? Um, you were effectively getting a certificate of ownership. You were getting a, a digital receipt. And then people saying, well, what, what, what am I going to do with this? You know, I, I, I can now look at it. Um, anybody else can look at it. The only difference is between me and you is that I've got a receipt. And people therefore started to sell them and the price fell from $77 to $1. So there was a, you know, a complete collapse. And what we have now seen is that as a result of this, there's been a class action lawsuit from US investors to say, we feel that we've been scammed and that Cristiano Ronaldo has used his celebrity status to persuade us to buy something which is inherently worthless, and we have suffered as a result. So what will happen on the back of this? I spoke to the secret crypto lawyer, <laughs> and he said it depends, <laughs> which, which, which this has come as a surprise to listeners, I'm sure. Um there, there could be a settlement. You know, it's likely to be an out-of-court settlement. He says whoever's involved in the lawsuit, you know, the lawyers will become very rich on the back of this. It tends to be the case. Um, but I, th I think a word of warning, if you are in that position to be an influencer in society, that, that, can, that can certainly make you a very wealthy person. But it does come with a set, sense of responsibility. And what we are seeing is... You know, John Terry, Michael Owen, Paris Hilton, Cristiano Ronaldo, many stars of NFL, NBA, and so on, they've they've just taken the easy money and people have lost as a result. And you would hope that these people would have a degree of conscience. So it's a $1 billion lawsuit, uh, I believe. Um, it, it won't be a $1 billion final settlement if there is one. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo will not be uh, out of pocket. He will still be a very wealthy young man, whatever this. But once again, NFTs and football, very, very dangerous bedfellows, as you know, we, we, we've said from day one. Uh, I, I assume Cristiano Ronaldo is not a US citizen, Kieran, but does that make a difference? Um, I, I don't think so because he, he has marketed this in the US Presumably, oh, okay, right, and therefore right, yeah. will come under some form of uh, US law. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being down with the kids, I remember laughing very much many years ago when Barry Cryer said on stage, Does anyone know where I can buy one of those back to front baseball caps all the young kids are wearing? 
which, which in, in anybody else's hands would have been a terrible joke because it was Barry who couldn't help but laugh. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. It will get your access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, one of which is coming up, I believe, very soon, Kieran, because it's a Christmas quiz. So I guess it won't be March or April. So that's coming up, and you can do all that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Kieran and I will be in Hastings next week for an event with East Sussex Libraries. It's on Wednesday the 13th in the evening. We'll be talking about our new book and about football finance. All the tickets have gone, but there is a waiting list, and if you want to be put on that waiting list, please click in the show notes below to register for a chance to get a ticket. And if you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can find details on the same website, priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kira Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, as always, for the feedback. Um, it was nice to meet so many people who listened to the show uh, at the FSA Awards. Um, Barry Blendenning, who uh, was uh, went up to collect the Best Podcast Award, he was he was very charming, but I, I managed to pick up a few tips because he said when they've done their live shows, he's noticed the demographic of people that attend the Guardian Football Weekly live show. He said they are all, you, they are universally single hairy men with uh with poor personal hygiene um so so i've been on i've spent the last 48 hours on grinder uh, looking at single <laughs> hairy men and uh, trying to persuade them to take an interest in football finance so you know next year kevin it could be us it could be us we might have managed to turn them to to come into football finance fandom D- dan will be wondering what this euphemism is looking for a football finance fan you know what what, what, yes. what does that mean <laughs> Uh-huh. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Bye, son, for the